Amen. I thought I heard an instrument I'd never heard before, but I couldn't see it for the piano. <laughs> Thank you, Patty. Amen. This is my father's world, without a doubt. He created it. He owns it. He's redeeming it. And we're grateful to him for it. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to the book of Romans, chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 9 through 12 this morning. 9 through 12. Just four verses, but I think four very important verses as Paul continues to lay out his case for the reality of justification by faith alone. And that alone is a very important and very big word uh, in understanding what, what Paul is trying to do. We made the comment last week that, that Paul seems to be sent, spending an inordinate amount of time talking about justification by faith alone. That he seems to be going through it clearly and, and methodically and time by time. He, in verses 1 through 8, he talked, or 1 through 6 rather, he talked about clearly how Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He had faith and God granted it as righteousness or counted it or imputed it as righteousness. So Paul says because of that, there is no grounds for boasting. Back to chapter 3, verses 27 and 28 where he says that boasting is excluded. Can't brag about what you've done for God. Can't brag about how smart you were to come to God. That it is all by grace through faith. It's because you believed him and he counted it to you as righteousness. That's an important concept that Paul wants us to see. But he goes on a step further in, in verses uh, 7 and 8 in this passage. And he says not only was it true of Abraham, but it's also true of David. And he quotes there, Psalm 32, 1 and 2, and he said, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, it, it's amazing that Paul goes to such intricate detail and such extreme measures to be sure that we understand that this concept of justification by faith is not just something that he came up with. It's not just something that, that developed when Christ came to earth, but it's something that goes back to its roots in the Old Testament. So Paul is saying here, in essence, and clearly, understand this, don't miss this. Our faith in Christ, our justification, has its roots in the Old Covenant. They are tied together intrinsically. They are, they are important to one another. I was interested this week to notice on social media that Atlanta pastor Andy Stanley started a firestorm, a great commotion, because Stanley a couple of weeks ago in, in a sermon, which was reviewed online by the Christian Post, and he said in that sermon, many people today, especially many millennials, have been turned off by the Old Testament accounts. They, they've just found them not real comfortable. They found them something they really don't care about. And so in an attempt to reclaim these people who have been turned off by it, we should unhitch Christianity from the Old Testament. We can't do that. It's an impossibility to do that. This is what he said. He said, first century church leaders unhitched the church from the world, from the worldview, the value system, and the regulations of the Jewish scriptures. Peter, James, Paul elected to unhitch the Christian faith from their Jewish scriptures. And my friends, we must as well. I wonder if Andy has ever read Romans. 
I wonder if he's ever looked at it when he says, Paul unhitched it. Now, what he uses to, to base that on, or what he bases that on, is the Jerusalem council in, in Acts chapter 15. And at the Jerusalem council, if you remember, that, if we can, let me just read you the opening verses there in chapter 15. It says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. These are the Judaizers. We've talked about them. We've talked about Philippians. We've talked about them. We've talked about Ephesians. We've talked about them. We've talked about 1 John. I mean, all of these uh, are, are, are what was happening there in, in chapter 15 of Acts. The, the, these Judaizers came down and said, Jesus is important. You must trust Jesus. You have to have faith in Jesus. But before you can have faith in Jesus and it really be counted, you have to become Jewish first. You have to go through the ritual of circumcision. And so they sent some to Jerusalem. They all gathered around the elders of the church there. And they hashed it out in what is known as the Jerusalem Council. And basically they came up with this uh, decision and sent it back to those people said, listen, you don't have to go through Jewish rituals. You don't have to become a Jew first before you can be a Christian. You don't have to go through Jewish ceremonial cleansing. You don't have to go through Jewish ceremonial customs. You don't have to go through Jewish ceremonial circumcision. You don't have to do that to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, to do that would be contrary to what it means to believe in Christ and Christ alone. And, and so they said, get the word out. And they wrote a letter back to these Christians and said, we do not want to put, up on, put on you what the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't put up on you. You don't have to become Jewish first before you can become a Christian. You become a Christian by faith in Christ. You become a Christian by believing God and what His gospel has said. I, I found it interesting this week as I was reading a, uh, a sermon uh, by one of my favorite uh, uh, preachers who is now uh, with the Lord, Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, usually just lovingly referred to as the doctor. Uh, he was a medical doctor before he was a theologian doctor, uh, but he was a great preacher in, in London, England, back in the, the early part of the 20th century. And this, this is what Lloyd-Jones would say to someone who wanted to unhitch the Old Testament from the New, or from Christianity. He said, once more we are reminded, talking about this passage that we're actually looking at this morning, once more we are reminded of the place of the Old Testament and its teaching in the thinking and the life of the Christian. Nothing is more foolish than to imagine that the Christian no longer has any need of the Old Testament. It is quite impossible to follow the argumentation of the New Testament and especially of the epistles of Paul without a knowledge of the Old Testament for these matters are deeply rooted in the history that is to be found there. So Lloyd-Jones says, understand what Paul is doing here is Paul is very carefully showing us that Abraham was saved in the same way that we are. As we talked about last week, Jesus said, Abraham looked forward to my day. Abraham believed in my day. He depended on my day coming. And that's where he placed his faith. And when the, when the, uh, uh, the uh, authorities wanted to question him about that and said, how can you say that? Have you ever met Abraham? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. I, I, I existed before Abraham. And Abraham knew that I was coming. And his faith was in the coming of the Messiah the coming of Christ. What a glorious foundation. What a glorious truth that we have in that old covenant, in that Old Testament, 
the glory of justification by faith alone. Now, Paul wants to strengthen that just a little bit here. He said, yes, Abraham was justified not by works, but by faith in those first six verses. He talks about David not being justified by works and, and, and how that, in, in those two verses out of Psalm 32, how that preserves for us the great blessing of, of forgiveness of sins and imputed righteousness, counted righteousness in our lives. I mean, uh, Paul is making that clear, so clear. And then he comes to this third point where he shows that Abraham was not only not justified by works, but lest they misunderstand, Abraham was also not justified by circumcision. He was not justified by a religious act. Now, we have a little trouble sometimes kind of going back and saying, well, this circumcision, of course, that was a Jewish act. And, of course, they dealt with that at the Jerusalem Council. No one has to be circumcised anymore. So, no, we would never say that circumcision is the basis for salvation or justification. But I think Paul is going to show us later on very clearly that it's not just circumcision itself, but it's any religious act. It's any religious ritual. I think you can very easily substitute the word baptism for say. Circum, uh, circumcision there and understand the great truth about baptism in, even in our own day. But hear what Paul says in verses 9 through, through 12. He says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Is it just for those who are in Judaism or also for the uncircumcised? Paul answers it immediately. It says, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? He said, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that, ha that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before, before he was circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. And it's the word of the Lord that is so clear in speaking to, to many even in our own day who want to say there has to be this ritual, there has to be this there has to be this act. It has to be something that you do beyond just believing Christ, beyond just believing the gospel, beyond just believing what, what God's Word has taught. You've got to do something. You've got to go through the ritual in order to get it. There are many people today in, in Somerset, Kentucky, who believe that if you are not baptized in water, you are not saved. They believe in, in what is known as baptismal regeneration, that salvation comes by being baptized. And once you are placed under the water and brought out of the water, then your salvation is completed. But until that point, it's not. There has to be a religious activity before you are truly saved. That's what Paul is arguing against so emphatically in this passage. Paul is saying, understand this, religious religious rituals are important he's not and obedience to God is important but you've just got to get the importance in the right place you got to get the importance if you will in the right order 
And so Paul says, I want you to see. I want you to understand. Abraham was justified by faith, not by circumcision. As a matter of fact, do this on your own time. I don't, we don't have time to go and trace it down clearly today. But go back to Genesis. Go back to Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis chapter 15, that's when the call of God came to Abraham. And it says Abraham believed God and he obeyed God and he followed God. He, he believed God and so God counted it him, to him as righteousness. And he followed him to a land that he knew not where he was going. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham believed God and was justified immediately. You have to go over to chapter 17 before you find the, the ritual of circumcision being carried out. Now that may not sound like much. You've got Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. That's, that's two chapters. We can read Genesis 15 through Genesis 17 in a matter of just a couple of minutes. So you know, it must have been, he, he, he believed God and then immediately he was, he was circumcised. No, most scholars understand that the time frame between the time when he believed God and was justified and when he uh, was circumcised was anywhere between 14 and 21 years. There's a broad span of time in there that Abraham was justified, was right with God before he was ever given the sign and the seal of, of, justification, of circumcision to show his justification. And you say, is that really all that important? That is really all that important. Because we live in a day where works righteousness prevails. We live in a day where we think, even much thinking in the contemporary evangelical church is, that we have to earn what we get with God. Now, in, in, in 1 through 6... Paul made that clear. He said, look, if you earn it, it's not a gift. It's your salary. It's your due. If you do something to earn it, even if it's just a, a simple little matter of circumcision in, in Abraham's day or a simple little matter of baptism in our day, if you do that in order to be declared justified, then you have done something that you can boast about and it doesn't all rest on the grace and the glory of God. And it doesn't give all glory to Him. You get to brag a little bit and save a little glory for yourself. And Paul says, I want you to understand, that is not acceptable at all. That is not acceptable in the, in the least. So he asks these questions that he knows are being asked. Is this just for the circumcised? The Jew thought, quite honestly, that the blessings of God... Salvation from God, justification by God, was only for them. It was never intended to be that way. It was always to be, even Paul back in, in Romans 1, when he was introducing this thing, he, he talked about how the purpose of his gospel was the same purpose that had been proclaimed by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, and he said it was to bring about the obedience of faith. And so from the prophets on back all the way to Abraham, the idea was that Israel would be a missionary and an evangelistic entity, body, believers, people, nation, that they would be given over to sharing the truth of God's grace with the world. But rather than that, they basically became very possessive of it. 
we are right with God because we have done things that God has been pleased with. <laughs> they didn't read their own history very well, to be honest with you. But, but we've, we've honored God. We've done what he said. We've been circumcised. We have, we have circumcised our male children. We have, on the eighth day, we've done it just the right time. We've done everything according to the letter of the law. But Paul is wanting us to see here that it's not the letter of the law that is so important. It's not even that it took place in the Old Testament that it was so important. It's the spirit of the law and what God is wanting us to see. Paul answers this question. He answers it very bluntly. How then is it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? He said, it was not after, but it was before that Abraham was made right with God. We need to understand that our justification, our justification is by our faith in Christ Jesus alone, which Paul makes clear in Ephesians chapter 2 is a gift from God itself. That, that this is a gift that God gives that we believe, that we trust in. And it's not on the basis of some external ritual. And you say, well, Bill, are you, are you saying that circumcision was not important? No, it was important because God commanded it. Well, are you saying in our day then, since circumcision was important, but we're living on the, in the New Testament, maybe we should unhitch from the Old Testament. Are you saying, we shouldn't, by the way, but are you saying that, well, then what is happening here is that, that baptism is not important? No, I'm not saying that at all. Jesus said baptism was important. He just didn't say it was essential for salvation. Jesus and Paul and, and all the others, Peter and all the others, proclaimed the baptism by water that Christ commanded in His great commission, go into all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which I love how we sang about the Father. Glory to the Father, glory to the Son, glory to the Spirit this morning. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them all that I have taught you. Teach them to observe all things that I have taught you. And I'll be with you to the end of the age, Jesus said. Jesus said obedience was important. Paul says obedience is important. But it's important for discipleship. It's not important for salvation. So Paul says, I want you to understand very clearly that it is not contingent upon your circumcision. It is not contingent upon your baptism. And what was circumcision? Well, Paul says in verse 11 that he received the sign, hear that word sign of circumcision, as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. It's a sign. When people go through these baptismal waters up here, after they have trusted Christ, after they have been converted, after they have been declared righteous by God's grace, when they go through that, it is a sign. We talk about that when we, when we do baptism. We, we talk about how they, they go into the water as a sign of their death to self, their burial in the watery grave, and their resurrection to newness of life. And everybody that views that, believer and unbeliever of life, can see that that is a sign and a symbol and a picture of what has taken place in that person's life. But it doesn't do it in their life. 
if it hadn't already been done in their life by God's grace and God's power through faith, if it hasn't already been done, then going through that water is nothing more than getting wet. Maybe a little cleaner physically, but just getting wet. But water has no efficacious salvific power. The water has no effect on changing your life. It just has an effect on your testimony. It has an effect on what you say to the world. I have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, and now I am giving you a sign, and it, it, it is a reminder to me as a seal that I now am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I have been justified, I, or we could call it today, I've been saved, and now I'm declaring that. In a, in a real sense of the word, that baptism, as was that circumcision, was an expression that I now belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm His. It, it's a distinguishing mark. It's a setting apart. It's saying that I'm a part of God's covenant people now. But it's not only a sign to identify them to others, it's also a seal to authenticate them in their own life. Now, we can get real technical here, and I don't want to, I'm not going to do that. We could, but I'm not going to. Understand that baptism has several dimensions to it. We, we have the water baptism that we utilize, but the Scripture also talks about the spirit baptism. And that's not a second blessing. That's not something you get later. You're baptized by the Spirit when you're saved. You're, you're baptized by the Spirit, Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, you're baptized into Christ. You're baptized into Christ. So there is this, this baptism that takes place by sign in, in water, and it's a baptism that takes place by seal by the Holy Spirit. Where did I get that? Well, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about how God the Father has planned our salvation. God the Son has accomplished it on the cross. And God the Holy Spirit has sealed us unto that day. He has sealed us. He has placed the, the mark of authentication upon our life. He has said, you belong to me for all eternity. A seal is something that authenticates. The seal of approval. Go and you want to buy some meat, you want to see the FDA seal of approval. If you buy something, you want to see the good housekeeping seal of approval. Whatever it might be, this is the Holy Spirit seal of approval. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. And, and He has now sealed us, protecting us, caring for us, enduring with us throughout the whole of the Christian life. So Paul says, understand, obedience is important. But obedience is not important for salvation. Obedience is a part of our being saved. The, the sermon title is, Being Always Comes Before Doing. And, and that's what Paul wants us to recognize and see here as clearly as we possibly can. That being in Christ always comes before doing for Christ. A lot of people get that reversed. Also, I'm just trying to serve the Lord and trying to make Him happy. Well, if you're not being already, if you're not already in Christ, that'll never happen. You may do a lot of good deeds. but They're worthless apart from faith. 
writer of Hebrews said, without faith it is impossible to please him. Without faith it is impossible to be in him in a way that such a way that pleases him. And, and we must understand that reality. But Paul goes on in verse 12, well, part of verse 11 there, the second part, where Paul says, the purpose was to make him, that is, Abraham, the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him, that is, Abraham, the father of the circumcised, who are not merely physically circumcised, but who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. You see that faith is the operative, important concept and word in that passage? That Abraham might be the father of those who are uncircumcised because they have faith and it's counted them as righteousness. But also that he might be the father of those who are circumcised, but not just through a physical act, but who walk in the steps of faith. Paul in the Philippian letter, which you'll study later on in Sunday school, if you're in the adult Sunday school classes, you'll study that Paul says, we are the true circumcision, not who have gone through a physical ritual, but we who worship in the Spirit of God. We are the true circumcision who have put our faith in Jesus Christ and worship Him, not in our own right, not in our own ability, not in our own good deeds. We worship Him in the Spirit of Christ. If Christ is left out, the Spirit's left out, then there is no true and abiding worship. So in these verses, the last part of verse 11 and verse 12, here we have the evangelistic and the missionary significance of all this. It was not easy for Judaism to see themselves as a missionary religion in the Old Testament times. It just was not easy. There were the obstacles of circumcision, the dietary laws, the cumbersome sacrificial furnishings in the temple and the tabernacle. They had the ceremonial laws and the ritual purification and they had... All these things that it only happened in one place. Remember Jesus encountering the woman at the well? And she said, well, you people say we ought to worship in Jerusalem, but my people say we ought to worship on this mountain. Which one is right? And Jesus said, neither. There's coming a day, and it has now arrived, when you will worship God not in Jerusalem and not here on this mountain, but you will worship God in spirit and in truth. Location will not matter if you are in Christ. Judaism was mainly a come-and-see religion. Here we are. We're, we're at the temple, or earlier we were at the tabernacle. If you want to come and see who we are, and if you want to have faith and go through the rituals that you have to go through, which were numerous, but if you want to go through all that trouble, we will invite you to come and be a, they called them God-fearer. They weren't fully Judy, uh, Jews. They weren't fully entered into Judaism, but they were, they were God-fearers. They went through the rituals, even though they were ethnically unacceptable, and, and they had a special place where they could come and worship. It was the, the court of the Gentiles, where the God-fearers 
worshipped. But Paul is making something here crystal clear. That Christianity is not a, not a come and see religion as Judaism was. And he's making it crystal clear that in the Old Testament, Judaism missed the point. Remember when, when he called Abraham, he said, You will be a blessing to the nations, to all the nations. We sang this morning, Let the nations be glad. Let them be glad. That's right out of the Psalms. Let the nations be glad because, because they've heard the glory of Christ and they've heard the glory of the gospel and they've trusted in Him and Him alone. Let the nations be glad. Paul is saying, I want you to understand this. All nations, all ethnic groups are meant by God to be included in the promises of Abraham. Every one of them. John writes in Revelation, in that day there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. and they'll, they'll all be gathered around the throne of God's grace. Not everybody from every tribe, tongue, and nation, but there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation because it is a Christianity, as was Judaism supposed to be, is a missionary and an evangelistic religion. Telling people, Come and trust Christ. Well, don't you mean come and be baptized and then trust Christ? Or don't you mean come and go to church for a while and then trust Christ? Don't you mean come and start tithing or something like that and then trust Christ? Don't you mean there's some things we've got to do in order to really get in far enough that we can trust Christ? And Paul says, heavens, no. God forbid that would be the way we would look at it. It is by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ alone that you're included in all the promises of Abraham. And he's making that clear right here in verses 9 through 12. He, he also does it other ways in, in 116, 210, uh, 226 through 28, 322 through 30, 9, 8 through 24, 11, 17 through 23, all in this book. You didn't get all those, you can go back and listen to the tape and write them down. Whatever a tape is, there's no such thing anymore, is there? The MP3, excuse me. He's making it clear that by focusing our attention on the fact that Abraham obtained his covenant relationship with God, not by means of circumcision or any other Jewish ritual, but simply by faith. Faith that he had before there was a ritual. Faith that he had before there were the commandments as we would understand them. We, we don't know all that God told Abraham when he called him. We don't know everything he taught him there. But we know this. He called him to simply believe. And so if you put anything else on that, folks... If you say Jesus plus something, to use an equation that I think it was Matt Chandler used years ago, if you do Jesus plus something, that equals nothing. If you add or take away from the gospel, 
If you say as they did there in, in Judea, coming down from Judea in Acts chapter 15, yeah, you got to be a Christian, but first you got to be a good Jew. You have nothing. You have no salvation. Because you're not trusting in Christ alone. And, and if you have Jesus plus nothing, that equals everything. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So that as Paul says, we can't boast. We can't talk about how good we are because we're not. We can't talk about what we have attained to. Even Paul in Philippians says, I, I haven't attained it yet. I haven't reached it yet. I'm, I'm still pressing on. And Paul's a whole lot more godly than Bill Haynes is. And if Paul looks at that and says, listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing it in my own works. I'm just trying to be an obedient disciple of Jesus Christ because of the glorious gift that he has given me for salvation. Paul is making it clear here, this is for the world. Not merely the circumcised, but all the, all the uncircumcised out there. The gospel is to go forth. It, it, he said that at the beginning of this book as we looked at it. He said, you know, I am called to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. Among, actually, he says, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ in Rome. Yes, you have a special relationship with Christ. I think he would say to you and me at grace. I, I, I want you to understand my purpose, Paul would say, and I would say this is my purpose too. My purpose is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of, the, of his name, the Lord Jesus Christ, among all the nations, including all of Pulaski County and all of Somerset and all of Kentucky. And spreading forth from that. cannot be like the Jews. So, you know, boy, we've got it. Thank God we've got it. Really, thank me, I got it. The way most people look at it. Can't say I'm satisfied just to sit here and enjoy worship on Sunday morning. Our purpose for the sake of Christ is to bring about the obedience of faith in the lives of those we go and meet. That's the evangelistic and the missionary charge of the church. We are to take His Word, to take His Gospel, to take His truth to the ends of the earth. And a believer who has been justified by faith... Well, first of all, be obedient in the simple things like baptism, an act of obedience. But a person who is justified by faith, made right with God by faith, brought into a covenant relationship with a holy, living, creator God by faith and faith alone, will be changed in such a way that he or she 
will desire above everything else in their life to live obediently to the will of God in their life. Changes us. Doesn't just set us up to be able to say, hey, I like this. I'm glad I'm a Christian. Glad my sins are forgiven. I'm going to bank on that until Christ comes again. That's not Christianity. That's Gnosticism. That's a, that's a false brand of Christianity. Christianity is because of what God has done in my life, I desire to obey Him with all that I am. With all that I am. Would you pray with me?